So, hello and welcome to another episode of the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, I'm Ben. I'm Dan. So today we're honoured to be joined by Angelina Dolan Barlow, who is a singer currently at the Royal College of Music, um, but I met her in Liverpool where she plays with the Early Music as Education as well, so brilliant violinist as well. Um, and we're going to be talking about heartbreak today, um, which is a big topic, but I think Dan's got something to kick it off with. First. I do, yeah. I thought that heartbreak going to be a rather heartbreaking topic for to talk about. It's going to be a bit bit miserable, potentially. Quite enlightening, yeah. I'm sure. We'll have, we'll have a lovely time being upset together, which is great. But um, I thought we'd kick off with a game a bit more light, a bit more lighthearted in its character. So, I have here the Classic FM pocketbook of quotes. And this is a present I was given when I was like 10 years old or something. Um, and I thought I'd read you some quotes. And you have to tell me who you think said them or who you think they're said about. And yeah, this, like, no pressure, but it would just be interesting to see what you think. <laughs> because it might be fairly revealing about what you think of certain composers, shall we say. You probably won't get who it's from because they're not overly well known, but they said, one should try everything once. Except incest and folk dancing. <laughs> oh Any ideas? They're, they're I'm, I'm, I'm guilty on one of those, but I think you can probably guess which one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not okay. <laughs> uh, no, love a Kaylee. Okay. I'll, I'll give you some clues. Alex McKinder loves him. Um, English composer, 20th Bax. century. Yes. Well done. Ah. Arnold Black said that. Bit random, but there we go. Okay. The rest of them, I promise, will be a bit more... Well, a bit... Okay. Right. Beethoven said this quote about another composer. He said, Blank would have been a great composer if his teacher had spanked him enough on the backside. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it about, a, like, a classical era composer who's not as well-known? Not actually, no. Very well-named composer. Are you German? No, no. But no, I give up. Oh, you give up. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was Rossini. Rossini would have been oh, a great composer. Uh, if that teacher does make sense. On the yeah. That does make sense. <laughs> okay, this is a quote from Tchaikovsky um, about another composer. I played over the music of that scoundrel blank. What a giftless bastard. It annoys me that the self-inflated mediocrity is hailed as a genius. Very famous composer. Ouch. And that was Tchaikovsky that said that. Tchaikovsky that um, said uh, Brahms? Or... Yeah. Yeah? Ooh. Okay. Good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know that you feel the same about Brahms. Yeah, I was going to say, it's only because I know you think he's God tier, but, uh, but I always say it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, find my next one. Okay. Aaron Copeland said this okay, mm -hmm. about another composer's work. Listening to the Fifth Symphony of blank... Is like staring at a cow for forty-five minutes. <laughs> can't be Beethoven's fifth. Yeah. Um, not quite. Not quite. Um, yeah, it's that's it's too good for that. Um, staring at a cow. <laughs> yeah, there's a fifteen-minute-long violin and orchestra piece that is played way too much on classical FM. 
Oh, Paul Williams. Paul Williams, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. No, the fifth opinion of Paul Williams is like staring at a cow for 45 minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. I might do one or two more. Um, who said this? A good composer does not imitate, he steals. Was that one, Rossini? Forgotten which one I said now. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it was Stravinsky. Oh, okay. The last one I'll do. Woody Allen said this um, about a composer. I can't listen to too much blank. I start to get the urge to conquer Poland. <laughs> Chopin or something? Oh, that'd be such a good answer, actually. But not quite. Um... Polish composer. Not, not quite actually. It's um, I think what he's getting at is that the music is so long and tedious to get through, oh. and it's all about like Wagner. Yeah, Wagner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that was fun. Everyone always seems to talk about how to say. Yeah, yeah. That was hard. Everyone always is, yeah, hates on Wagner. I love his uh, operas. There's a whole section in this book, little book, dedicated to quotes that kind of basically just slam Wagner. Like, <laughs> Mark Twain, uh, the writer, said, I've been told that Wagner's music is better than it sounds. Um, <laughs> lovely, moments, lovely moments, but awful quarters of an hour. Was uh, that Rossini <laughs> that said that? Yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah, I thought it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, Rossini, Rossini can talk. I mean, sure, his offers oh, have their moments, but a lot of people would say the rest of them are a bit rubbish. <laughs> it's just three hours of tonic, tonic, dominant, tonic, tonic, dominant. <laughs> yeah. It is fun, <laughs> though. Well, Angelina, do, do you want to start us off with your choices? Yeah, okay, well, on the, on the subject of opera, I thought um, it would be fitting for me to choose an operatic heartbreak to set off. So my first pick is Odio Mimi from the final act of Puccini's La Boheme. Um, this was composed between 1893 and 1895 and premiered in 1896. Um, this is where Mimi is dying with everyone around, uh, trying to sort of help to avoid the inevitable. Uh, she passes away in Rodolfo's arms, leaving him despondent. Um, the orchestral writing really seems to depict her weakness here. Um, the texture sort of thins and there's these wrenching dissonances between the D-flat C natural, which repeat twice during the violin duet, um, whilst Mimi utters her last words on a single repeated A-flat dominant pedal, um, which sort of leaves us in midair almost, um, as if we're sort of going to lose her, but don't know when, and she doesn't seem to be expecting it. Um, and the, the whole opera is really pretty heart-wrenching but uh, this is the sort of final iteration of grief before we lose her. So here it is.
ti pare che sia grave? Marcello, espira. tranquilla. Che vuol dire? Quell'andare e venire? Quel guardarmi così? Heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, what, what I find most heartbreaking about it is um, Al Pacini brings back all the motifs and all the melodies from much earlier in the opera, from the love duets in the first act, um, and just turns them into something so kind of frail and kind of like you're grasping onto it one last time. And that's it's just heartbreaking. I was actually, this was going to be one of my choices, so I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, it does not get more heartbreaking than that in, like, the whole of opera. Uh, okay, should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm actually a, a huge musical theatre fan, so I thought of You Will Be Found from the end of the first act from Dear Evan Hansen by uh, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, uh, which premiered in 2015. Um for me, this sort of signifies many different sorts of heartbreak. It's sort of the heartbreak of death of Connor and heartbreak because of the struggles of Evan Hansen and the heartbreak for the audience watching because they know of the lies he's living behind. The whole whole show is sort of a whirlwind of emotions dealing with heartbreak as well, different coping mechanisms coming out of the other side. And there's also so much optimism in the song in any context that there's always hope with whatever you're going through, which is always pertinent during heartbreak. I know that uh, Ben really likes musical, don't I you? I do. I think it's oh, one of my favourite musical. It's, I love it so much, yeah. 
Me too. I went to see it in uh, 2019 and literally just watched it through a stream of tears. Honestly, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Like you could fall and no one would hear? Well, let that lonely feeling wash away Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay Cause when you don't feel strong enough to stand You can reach, reach out your hand And oh, someone will Come running, and I know they'll take you home. Even when the dark comes crashing through, when you need a friend to carry you, and when you're broken on the ground, you will be found. So let the sun come streaming in, cause you'll reach up and you'll rise again. Lift your head and look around You will be found 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 Have you seen this? Someone put a video of your speech online. My speech? People started sharing it, I guess. And now, I mean, Connor is Your everywhere. speech is everywhere. This morning, the Connor Project page, it only had 56 people following. Well, how many does it have now? 4,589. I don't understand. What happened? You did. There's a place where we don't have to... It's like the harmony. Well, in the whole musical, actually, it's just so satisfying. It's like really quite sort of simple harmony, I guess, but it's just, um, it's quite like, I guess it's quite poppy, but it's not, it's never like cliche. It's always doing something that you don't quite expect. Um, yeah, it's really well written stuff. Okay, so my next pick is Die Meinacht or A Night um, by Brahms from his Viergesänger, Opus 43, uh, which was composed over a seven year period between 1857 and 1864. Uh, the text is by Hoti and depicts an inconsolable, heartbroken man walking through the woods and wallowing in his loneliness. Um, mm -hmm. He sees a pair of cooing doves and he has to turn away um, because he can't really bear to see the intimacy they're sharing. And so he turns away and a hot, cheek, uh, hot tear falls down his cheek. Um, the sort of harmonic build up to the climax of the tear. Um, and then the release is like a really stunning depiction of the, the emotional build up and then the relief as the tear falls itself. 
such a beautiful choice. I'm <laughs> so glad you talked about that. It's gorgeous. Yeah, we don't often get uh, people picking leader. Actually, it's quite nice to have. A... Kind of like, is there a form where you can depict more intimate sense of heartbreak more, like in a better way than leader? Really, like it's just mm -hmm. so directly from the heart. <laughs> it's, it's gorgeous. Okay, well, my my final pick is actually what I thought of first when I was thinking about this heartbreak uh, topic, um, which is Theo Katzman's album Heartbreak Hits. Um, they're a bit of fun, so <laughs> I'll um, include the first first song from the album, which is called Hard Work. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drops with my shoulder when you cried. I called in sick so I could comfort you all night. Now you got cold feet. Well, just let me break the ice. Yeah, I did your laundry and I folded it. so casual about like the heartbreak and stuff um but yeah if you haven't heard the the whole album i'd definitely give it a listen yeah i'm yeah, gonna go check that out yeah yeah because it's kind of what you need when you are suffering from heartbreak pick you up and like yeah yeah, yeah yeah put you back out there yeah good those are brilliant choices i love the variety and right. yeah Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about the Puccini, but I'm so glad that you did because, I, yeah, I, I I honestly think that that opera deserves to be talked about by everyone because it's just some of the most emotionally, like, compassionate connected music that you can imagine. Um, I was going to talk about uh, Dichterliebe by Schumann, which is full of heartbreak. I was tempted to talk about my own viola concerto, which is a bit full of heartbreak as well, but I thought that would be a bit, <laughs> a bit, um, oh, I can't come on here and plug my own music, that, that'd be a bit, anyway. <laughs> well, now you said that, okay, I've got permission, I'll, I'll play it now. <laughs> no. um, I've, I've just got one piece which um, portrays heartbreak in a way that's a little bit different than um, a kind of in, an impained way it's it's right I'll, I'll just start talking about it because I've I've prepared some notes so 
1911, respectively, Richard Strauss had written two radical works that had really shaken the operatic world with their extremely disturbing realism. They were Salome and Electra. Just two years after the latter was premiered was the first performance of a work that was a complete antithesis and contained some of the most charming, heartwarming and comedic music that Strauss was ever to write. This was, of course, Der Rosenkavalier. For much of the opera, you cannot keep a smile off your face as you follow the hopelessly crude character of Baron Ox, lose all sense of dignity amongst some of the most perfectly uplifting waltzes ever written. But at the heart of the tale is the emotional struggle of the Marshallin, who is in an unhappy marriage and is coming to terms with the fact that she is aging and losing the joys of her youth. These ideas are explored throughout the opera through her relationship with her much younger lover, Octavian, who subsequently falls madly in love with Sophie, the poor soul who was supposed to be marrying Baron Ox. It's all a bit confusing, but um, Octavian engages the Martian's help to hatch a plan to relieve Sophie of the responsibility in marrying Baron Ox. And it is in this final trio between the love triangle of the Martian, Octavian and Sophie, that the Martian finally accepts that she should not stand in the way of the two younger lovers and gives her permission for them to marry. As the Marshallin exclaims, intimately accompanied by painstakingly gorgeous music, I vowed to love him in the right way, even to love his love for another. What's extraordinary about this trio is that it grows into the most glorious climax, somehow maintaining two opposite sides of the emotional spectrum at once. Both the triumph of the love between Octavian and Sophie, but also the heartbreak of the Marshallin who is nobly putting herself second to see the one she loves be happy with someone else. As a human being, surely that has to be one of the hardest things we could ever have to do. It's heartbreaking, but gloriously so. Strauss, <laughs> Strauss held Rosenkavalier amongst his proudest achievements, saying towards the end of his life that he wished he could have written another work like it. And indeed, Strauss requested that the exact trio from the end of the opera was performed at his own funeral, conducted by by no less than Sergio Salti. There we go. There's my little bit of trivia. And I will share with you now the trio from the last act of De Rosen Cavalier.
Amazing choice. Thank you. <laughs> that is, it is so uh, Wagnerian, actually. I mean, there are bits of it that really sound like he's actually just taken Tristan and put different <laughs> parts on top of it. Yeah. But uh, genuinely, there are some chord progressions that are exactly the same as in Tristan. Well, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think that's like a cross Wagnerian. between uh, Wagner and Mahler, kind of. Which is why I like it. I think it's the whole idea of suppressing and suppressing and suppressing and suddenly you reach an arrival point which just couldn't be yeah. more glorious. But it's the yeah, patience towards that point. Right? Strauss is a little more... It almost it seems like he's taking very basic classical harmony but that you that you expect but he puts always puts twists in it like adding extra notes oh, yeah. to the chords and it's just extra juicy so notes nice. yeah <laughs> yeah that bit with the suspensions is just so <laughs> it's really cheesy but it's gorgeous oh, they all get you they, they grab your heart and they just oh. yeah 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 i think that's Stuff. gorgeous and um, yeah really you see what i mean about the two sides of it yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's just it, it feels so glorious. Like if you didn't know the Marshallin story behind it, you just think, oh God, this is glorious music. Like it couldn't be any more uplifting or like affirming of joy or something. And then you know what the Marshallin is singing at the same time and you realize what she's given up. And if effectively she's saying goodbye to her youth and her, her love and basically yeah. just watching as he goes off to someone, someone else who is Mm -hmm. well much younger than her and has everything that she can't have anymore so it's it's a lot there's a lot to it yeah well i, I want to start actually by giving an honorable mention and dan already mentioned it but again to the daniel hogan viola concerto oh. i'm not sure <laughs> i can actually think of another piece that's so specifically about heartbreak um that oh, kind of expresses it so well um so uh, I, I would strongly suggest that people go and listen to that um having uh played it myself as well uh it's a very moving experience and um i know what it means to yeah. dan so i i would strongly Thank suggest you, you go much. and go and find w doing it's on youtube somewhere um but anyway, so uh, I'll get to my my choice, my actual choices. Yeah, so I didn't actually pick it, but I mentioned okay. it. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> very, very touched that you were to make it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'd say Dan and I are actually quite similar, really, but uh, our experiences when it comes to this kind of thing are quite different. So I knew Dan would pick something like that that's very kind of outwards and um, <laughs> about, you know, losing very somebody or... Yeah, so I'm going to go with something that's a bit more uh, introverted and something about uh, unrequited love. So the idea of um, loving, being in love with somebody which you can't have because it's a very different kind of thing and it's almost like your heart breaks over and over again, you know, every time you think of someone and really the part of it that hurts the most is the, that it's often fueled by hope and sadly too often it's like false hope, I guess. Um, and so that uh, you you kind of get through it by um, convincing yourself that everything's fine and then eventually there's like an inevitable collapse, you know. So I'm going to play, I'm going to start off actually by playing you something English. Um, this is Dowland, John Dowland. Um, this is a, a, a song called Come Again, which you might know. Um, I'm actually going to play you, uh, <laughs> of all people, uh, Sting singing it because... Oh, uh, great. 
<laughs> this is not to ev- yeah he, he does i actually think Whoa. he does the down stuff really well it's an acquired taste um not not all people like it but um it's a bit like shakespeare with which is the same era for me that uh, a lot of very kind of classically trained actors with shakespeare they really overdo the thing and they try and be dramatic and it just ruins it a lot of when you yeah. do the historical actors that do shakespeare actually they just really speak to the audience and it's all very relaxed and that's how it's the most effective and i think he kind of captures that in that there's no kind of over dramatizing of it he just speaks there's no uh removal between him and the audience so i actually quite like the way he does it so um it's much more simplistic like no complicated thing yeah it's it's just like singing a pop song really i mean that's what it is so yeah i think he does it really well his in darkness is great as well have you heard that yes. one? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I really like that one. Yeah. Come again, sweet love, the flower invites. Thy grace as that refrain to do me due delight. To see, to hear, to touch, to kiss, to die with thee again. In sweetest sympathy To see, to hear, to touch, to kiss, to die With thee again In sweetest sympathy Come again That I may cease to mourn Through thy unkind disdain for now left and forlorn I sit, I sigh, I weep, I faint, I die In pain and endless misery I sit, I sigh, I weep, I faint, I die In pain and endless misery the day the sun that lends me shine that's just a revelation to me i loved it <laughs> it's amazing i know the aria but i've never heard it never heard it sung by sting like i never yeah. thought i'd hear it sung by sting but that's fantastic there's a there's yeah. one video of him doing um what are the other ones and he's singing all the parts um, to it, like he's kind of multi-tracked it. But, you know, he sat there reading it from, like, an actual 17th century table book. And it's like, yeah, he must know his stuff about this. Ooh. I mean, it's yeah. pretty cool. Respect. Um, wow. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that the, the something Dowland does very well is, is um, well, A, Melancholy, which... Um, which is, you know, flow my tears, that kind of thing. He does that stuff very well. But this is, I'd say, is more bittersweet, and bittersweet is something he does extremely well. It might just sound happy to our modern ears, but in the kind of... I think it's in G. Did that sound like it was in G? <laughs> that was the key? Yeah. Yeah, that's G, that G? Yeah. So um, in Renaissance theory, G major, because uh, it, it has an F sharp in it, it's actually quite a harsh key. Um, we think of it, it just sounds kind of happy to us, but in Renaissance way of thinking, um, it has a kind of slightly harsher connotation. But I just think the the text in that, the text is anonymous, but um, there's just some such great, uh, there was a third verse which we didn't get to, but 
All the day the sun that lends me shine By frowns do cause me pine And feeds me with delay Her smiles my spring that makes my joys to grow Her frowns the winters of my woe It's just so beautifully written And it's talking about obviously This woman that is um, is everything to him And everything that she does Influences how he feels uh, all the time And um, this one, all the nights my sleeps are full of dreams, my eyes are full of streams, my heart takes no delight to see the fruits and joys that some do find, and mark the storms uh, are me assigned. Which is kind of like what you were saying earlier about seeing the, seeing other people happy or other creatures happy and having something that you can't have. And my favourite line actually is, um, out alas my faith is ever true. Yet she will never rue, nor yield me any grace. Her eyes of fire, her heart of flint is made, whom tears nor truth may once invade. So basically, you know, that she's just hard to get. <laughs> but it's just so beautifully described. Um, of course, it sounds a bit weird to us now, but to see, to hear, to touch, to kiss, to die, is obviously, to die is a Renaissance euphemism. I won't explain what it means, but... It's obviously the logical conclusion of that chain of events. Um, but when he says to die in the next verse, I sit, I sigh, I weep, I faint, I die. He means the literal meaning of to die. So it's just very, it's very cleverly um, written text. But uh, I'm going to play something slightly uh, similar, um, which is Italian. Um, and this is uh, Si Dolce al Tormento, which is an aria by Monteverdi. It's from... Uh, Quarto Scherzo delle Ariose Vaghezze, from uh, which is published in Venice in 1624. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and uh, it's um, it's a short song uh, in a few verses. It's just one voice uh, and continuo, and it's uh, what the title means. So sweet is the torment that fills my heart or lies in my heart. Um, and again, it's the similar kind of thing. It's all about. Um, uh, false hope and um, uh, well I'll read you the text if you want so sweet is the torment that fills my heart I can gladly live with her cruel beauty in beauty's heaven no vanity increases and pity gets lost but always my faith will be a rock against the wave of pride bloody blight it's that kind of thing it goes on for a few verses false hope leads me onward neither pleasure nor peace uh, descends on me, and the cruel woman I adore denies me the relief of her favour. Amid infinite pain, amid betrayed hopes, my faith stays alive. So, uh, you get the idea. It's uh, very strongly worded, and relief is the I think is the key word there. That like the the feeling that the only thing that can save you is um, that person finally, uh, you know, giving you a chance or whatever. Thank you. 
Amazing dissonances and stuff, and you can really, you really get the sense of um, that it's somebody just longing for their kind of cycle of uh, dismay to be broken, basically, or like the slow burn of uh, unrequited love to be broken. So yeah, that's uh, that's my second choice. Um, I've got one more, um, which is a slightly different thing. Uh, I think this is going to be my nomination, actually. Because there's one more kind of heartbreak, which is probably harder than uh, anything, which is um, losing the person you love forever. So when, you know, they die. But I'm going to play you uh, a little tune, which was... Um, so in, in 1768, the famous Scottish fiddle player Neil Gow uh, married his wife Margaret, uh, and they lived happily together until she died in 1805. And it was then that he composed uh, one of his most famous fiddle tunes, um, which is now called Neil Gow's Lament for the Death of His Second Wife. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's not really much else to say about it. Um, I think he died uh, not very long, a couple of years maybe after he wrote it. And I just think it's one of the most moving um, melodies that's ever been written. And um, I'm going to play you... Uh, there's lots of recordings of this because folk fiddle folk players do it all the time actually but um, I'm going to play you a recording by a friend of mine called Bjarte Eiker who's a Norwegian um, fiddle player he directs a group called the Baroxelistina who I suggest you go and look at because they're you know they're amazing I mean they could make anybody like Baroque music it's <laughs> they just play this stuff fantastically well um, but I mean his performance of it is just so kind of natural that you 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 almost believe you're listening to, uh, you're sat in a the you know the back of a Scottish tavern in, in the <laughs> early eighteen hundreds listening to Neil Gow play it himself.
I don't even want to stop it, but uh, it's just it's great. He gets the whole string ensemble in there after that, but oh, I mean, it's beautiful. It really is uh, one of the most touching melodies ever composed. Um, and I guess that just kind of shows the difference between me and Dan, you know. Dan <laughs> write a, will write a, a big heartfelt piece about his heartbreak, and I'd probably rather just sit in a corner playing to myself and <laughs> wondering where everything went wrong. <laughs> but there you go. Um, so that, that, that's my choice. And I guess now Angelina has to pick. <laughs> this is a hard one. Okay. I mean, you play the violin and you sing soprano. So, I mean, it's pretty uh, 50-50 here. <laughs> I think I might have to go for... For Ben's pick. Oh, I and think I agree with you, to be honest. so much beauty and the simplicity of the melody of that. It's like the... I don't, it just seems to like speak to you directly. Like There's n- no frills or anything. Like, yeah, exactly. It's so unpretentious. Anything and... about it or... It just presents itself as it is. Yeah. And like, says what it wants to and that's that. Okay, yeah. okay so my um, first question is what's your favorite kind of music to wind down to when you're not doing um music as a thing? oh my gosh okay so <laughs> really asked ben really asked. <laughs> <laughs> i love listening to musical theater i listen to an awful lot of musical theater um just stick it on with whatever i'm doing um so i guess that sort of stuff to wind down and I listen to a lot of, um, like, Jacob Collier, um, yeah. classic. <laughs> um, I listen to Bonnie Vare, um, James Blake. Yeah. And I listen to a lot of, um, like, singer-songwriter females. Um, like, there's a, a lady called Missy Higgins, Australian uh, singer-songwriter, and her songs are amazing. I listen to a lot of that winding down. And Joni Mitchell, um, James Taylor. All of those. Angelina, you're a wonderful singer. Um, often you post on Instagram or something and I listen and it's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're very welcome. My, my question is, so you must have to sing in quite a few different languages and I wonder which one you find the most challenging. I think, well, I enjoy singing in English the most. I think mm, I think I find that one probably the easiest mm-hmm. um, Would make because sense. it's my own language and yeah. <laughs> Um, but most difficult, maybe French. Yeah. I think um, I've sort of been singing in French the least amount of time. Mm. So I've lived with it less long, I suppose. Um, it's funny, quite strange French because it's, it's the one of, it's the language that you probably sing most differently to how you speak it in the sense that like mm. when it's sung, there's a lot of different rules about uh, pronunciation to their are speaking French and stuff as well, isn't yeah. it? So it's weird. Especially like speaking in French, you often like think a lot of the language sounds quite nasal, mm. but you sort of have to rem- remove all the nasality yeah, when you you're can't singing. Really singing it like that, yeah. Okay, so my next question is what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh my gosh, ice cream flavor. Yeah. Do you know Pellies of Cornwall? They do oh, a yeah. really nice top fudge. And I've only ever really been able to find it in my local park. 
like ah. they don't seem to sell it in the in the shop <laughs> so okay. i always uh, i love that one because it sort of reminds me of the the park which is nice they're the best though oh. the ones that you can only have so often because there's like only some places you can get it yeah um, also really like um ben and jerry's cookie dough that's really right, good yeah. fair play it's so, like my favorite one is baked Alaska, but you can never get it anyway. So yeah. When I when I finally find it, it's like a being in heaven, you know, because I yeah. just can't get it. Anyway. All that marshmallow. Oh, and the white oh, chocolate. Oh, it's so good. My next question: um, Is there someone that you particularly enjoy collaborating with musically that you'd like to give a shout out to? Um. You can say so... no. <laughs> yeah, you can say no. <laughs> Okay, um, give a shout out to, um, I'll give a shout out to my singing teacher, uh, Patricia Barden. Um, she's amazing working with, and Simon Lepper, who is my current repertoire coach at college. I really, really enjoy working with him. And also a guy I've been doing some covers with on Instagram, um, Luca Weatherall. Um, he's really great uh, to work with. Um, and my friend Armand Rabo as well. He's really great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lad. Yeah. Uh, if you were to probably get into trouble with the police for anything, what do you think it would be for? Oh my gosh. I mean, you might be so good that you'd never get in trouble. But... Um... <laughs> We've all got something, haven't we? No one's perfect. Oh, what would it be? I'd probably get arrested for something I hadn't done. Um... Yeah. Mm. Maybe similar sort of scenario, looking suspicious or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking out of a shop with something by accident, forgetting to pay for it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> if you could have any exotic pet, what would it be? So not cat or okay, dog, so fish. In my house, we actually have, um, I think, three tarantulas and a snake. So. <laughs> oh, no way! <laughs> um, oh my god. So I'm already a bit out there on the exotic pets. We used to have um, about nine snakes, maybe, but uh, got sort yeah. of like, it, I don't know what happened, really. That, that's been like over the years. And um, I used to have, yeah, geckos. We've had other lizards and whatnot. Well, so that's... I suppose with them, we quite quite like uh, the reptiles in this wow. house. Well, we do in our house. <laughs> My brother's a reptile... Um well, I guess enthusiast, but he studies animal welfare with reptiles. So we've yeah. got a gecko and uh, we've got an iguana as well. Oh, no, chameleon, oh that's sorry. so we've got cool. A chameleon. Yeah, yeah, so it's quite cool. Yeah, so my question is, describe yourself in one word, which is quite a hard question. Oh, uh, okay. I can't really just say, like, musical, can I? It's not like... A... No. There you could. Yeah. Is that, is that your whole personality, though? No, exactly. Well, there's, more but there's, not, than nothing, that. there's nothing that encompasses my whole personality. So you say like unencompassable. Yeah. Is yeah. that a word? Unencompassable. It is a word now. Unin what? <laughs> <laughs> unencompassable. I don't think it is a word. Unencompassable. Can we make Something it a word? Like we can well let's, let's make, make it a word. word. Let's do it. Right, yeah. we'll, we'll make up the word inuncompassable. To describe myself. Inuncompassable. Yeah. <laughs> I guess great. Um... <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> if there's one musician 
and can be anything, dead or alive, composer, conductor, musician, anything, um, who people should be raving about, but they probably don't know about. Who would you suggest people go and listen to? Don't know about. So I think people should be raving about um, Cody Fry and Corey Wong. Um, there's a new, like, well, it's been out a while now, um, Corey and the Wong Notes. I don't know if either of you seen that. <laughs> That's such a good name. Yeah, they do such good, like, they're really hilarious, like, sketches, like, musical sketches and things um, on YouTube. And um, the music they play is absolutely great. Um, but there's a guy that sings on the first episode of that, Cody Fry. He's got an amazing song called Underground that he does with the um, Metropole Orchestra. Um, and it's like so great. People should rave about that for sure. Brilliant. Well, wow. that is it. Thank you ever so much, Angelina. We've had so yeah, much fun talking thanks. to you. Thanks today. for having me. It was a great episode of that, yeah. And uh, we yeah. ended on a positive note, despite all of the... Yes, uh, despite, despite all the heartbreaks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're heartbroken to have to finish the episode. But... Oh. <laughs> well done, Ben. <laughs> Thank you. Superb. So, if there's one musician, alive, dead, lizard, anything, it's all good. Um, <laughs> I don't know, cut that out. That was rubbish. <laughs> right. That was, that was encompassable, Dan. I was, yeah. That... <laughs> um, well, I was actually once um, approached by the police because mm. I was on a night walk, right? Um, because I'd go on night walks and I do my conducting practice because no one's about. So you're walking along, you can do all of this. No one sees you because it's dark and it's pitch black. But this one evening, the police turned up and they said there had been a report from a lady on the road of suspicious looking behaviour from a youth. <laughs> <laughs> And um, turned out she phoned the police on me. And this um, policewoman arrived with four cars as backup. There were backup cars. Yeah. Four cars? Yeah, legit. And she came to speak to me and she told me the situation. And within two minutes, she was like, yeah, you're not a threat at all. We're really sorry for wasting your time. <laughs> Surely in Watford, of all places, the police have got more stuff to be getting on with. Than... <laughs> this was in Chalfontan Latimer, which oh, okay, you know, fair that's enough. pretty that's, much that's a different most, matter. the closest to crime you're going to get in Chalfontan Latimer. <laughs> yeah.